Welcome to Grand Canyon University's Teaching Tips, a survey of educational improvement. And now, here are the hosts of today's Teaching Tips, Joshua Sagata and Mark Trollinger. Ladies and gentlemen, back by popular demand. This is so exciting. We were, I say back by it, we just didn't let them leave, but we want to welcome Ryan and Catherine back from Curriculum Design and Development. So if you missed that episode where Mark and I had the chance to kind of introduce who they are and their department, I encourage you to go back and check it out. It I marked the reviews, right? I mean, it was the feel-good episode of the year. It was. It was huge. So it's nominated big. for awards. Yeah, nominated many. That so many, we, we can't even begin to mention them here. And we flew them back in. Uh, for this episode special, just so we could kind of dig a little deeper into this world of curriculum that is somewhat mysterious. It's kind of there, but we don't fully understand it. Maybe it's like the Holy Spirit. In many <laughs> churches, we know he's there. We don't fully understand. Um, that's uh, Anyway, that's just the series we're currently in at my church. So uh, welcome, Ryan, Catherine. Um, if we could, I was hoping that we could talk about the roles maybe in curriculum development, um, because, you know, we hear it as this whole department, but you guys do a lot. And so I was hoping we could kind of break that down just a little bit. Yeah. So there's two main roles that faculty and instructors would probably interact with if they work on a curriculum project in our department. They're curriculum developers and Mm -hmm. instructional designers. So I'm an instructional designer. There's two kind of major roles that both the CDs, curriculum developers and IDs, instructional designers, fulfill. One is as a project manager, uh, we manage different projects mm-hmm. and uh, curriculum projects. And then also the role of kind of the curriculum expert during that collaborative uh, curriculum design process. And and so the, the difference between the, the IDs and the CDs is basically the, the IDs are kind of the project managers for program development and the CDs are the project managers for course development. So okay. that's kind of what those roles are. Another another important role in CDD is the editors. So there's an editor for each Teams and CDD that edits every piece of curriculum that we produce to to mitigate errors and, and things like that. So those are kind of the main roles that in CDD. And you said there's so there's curriculum designers and instructional designers, and then you have editors. So when we talk about curriculum, not to we don't have to go too minute, but who who's in charge? Like, are you saying like graphics? Do they like bring make it digestible? What what? How do we draw that distinction there? Well, graphics. There's another department on campus called Academic Web Services. Okay. Who we will work with them um, oftentimes to create graphic uh, materials, Content, yeah. things like that. Great department. Yeah. Um, they do a lot of other things in addition to that, mm-hmm. but uh, we will work with with them and kind of consult on. Instructional design uh, that, principles and, and, and things like that. Yeah. Well, the the project management aspect is, for instance, for me, an instructional designer. Whenever GCU is creating a new program or revising an existing program, I run that project. Okay. So the the college, you know, wants to create a new program. It, it goes through a, a process through university administration. They check the viability of that program. The program passes viability. It comes to us. Mm-hmm. And so I get that as a project. And so then I work with the college to identify subject matter experts, to figure out exactly, 
you know, some of the details they really want to be in that program, kind of get a vision of the program from mm-hmm. the college, the deans, the faculty. And then I, I run that that project. And so I'll contract subject matter experts outside of the university, schedule meetings mm-hmm. to start working through the design of that program. Uh, we come up with the programmatic competencies. We come up with the courses and the course topics. And we kind of make an outline of the program. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the program design process that gets approved by the college. It gets approved by the university. And then that program is official. My role as a project manager and that is is ended. And then the CD, the curriculum developer, will then be assigned out those new courses okay. that we designed in the program. And they take over that role as a project manager on each of the course development projects for that program. I love it. And it's really neat because when I came from public education and a junior high and high school teacher, all I knew of roles within any school, you know, when I think of a school, I go, oh, you're a teacher or you're an administrator? That's your principal or what have you. Mm-hmm. So you come to university and you go, wow, there, there's a department designated to creating programs. Oh, wow. You can just, you you mentioned editors. Someone, like it's their job. They, they edit material all day, which certain people I know like, like love that. Like that's just their passion. And so that, that's great. There's a huge appeal for such a wide variety of people. And then you're talking about subject matter experts. Like you can be, you know, who knows where you'd fit in. So that, I got to imagine you're always growing and transitioning as a department. Yeah, there's always uh, changes and um, development and alterations to our, our process. Um, and a lot of that's in, informed by the needs of the university. Um, there's something that, that needs to happen. We talk, okay, how can we be more efficient to, to accomplish that thing? So, yeah. That's great. How about yeah. with that growth? I know you guys focus a lot on you – know, there's professional development within CDD as well. I was hoping we could talk a little about that because uh, I'm sure I like to be new for Mark and I as well. Yeah, well, just as our d- department is always, you know, growing and changing and things like that, we want to make sure that we're looking for opportunities to improve ourselves as we're kind of the education experts in what we do. And so throughout the quarter, we'll have different opportunities for professional development sessions, whether that's like better understanding how to use the technology that we're working on, figuring out ways to be more effective in how we're using our time and time management skills, things like that. But most of these sessions are self-directed in in the way that people in the department come up with an idea and they present that idea and have it approved. And so we're all just teaching each other. It's not like, I mean, we can have experts come in, but Ryan had the idea a couple months ago to maybe look at different ways that we in CDD could better incorporate different kinds of effective learning strategies and use that to help both CDs and the SMEs that we're working with come up with maybe, or maybe take a second look at how we're designing our assignments and different deliverables. Um, So a couple months ago, Ryan and I came up with an idea for a professional development session that we could present to the members of our department. And this largely had to do with different kinds of effective learning strategies. Sometimes when we're creating our courses, it can be easy to kind of get into a routine where we're doing papers and uh, like PowerPoints and presentations, and it gets a little rote, probably for the instructor's grading, but also the students doing the work. And so Ryan and I began talking about different ways that we could look at the assignments and the deliverables that we're producing and come up with ways that we can start thinking about 
a little bigger picture of how we're having students learn or how we're helping them learn so that it's not just memorization, but that we're helping instill these principles and these concepts and these ideas in a way that really fosters long-term retention and actual comprehension, not just memorization to get through the get through the topic. So we came up with a couple ideas and then we presented them to our department and we just wanted to start that conversation in a professional development session about ways that we on on the curriculum design and development side can be a little more cognizant of the assignments we're having students complete and how we're helping students learn. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great approach because I mean to show that you understand a topic you don't always have to write a paper about it. Right. Right. So I think incorporating new approaches keeps it interesting for the students and the instructor. So I think that's great. Yeah, we, we've spent time on the show talking about different applications or different actual literal apps to bring into your classroom to help do that. You know, with Flipgrid or what have you. There's, there's you know, a lot of them out there, Web 3.0 tools. Are there things you've come across in the curriculum world that's kind of on the, I don't know, cutting edge right now that where you're like, hey, this is really cool. I, I'm hoping to integrate this more. You'd recommend to faculty? I mean, we haven't gotten here at all, but I know that virtual reality is something that's kind of on the cusp when Ah. it comes to education. And again, we haven't started incorporating that at all, but just kind of being open to those different kinds of technologies and things. I know that at least I work for the, or I collaborate with the colleges of nursing and business, but specifically I focus more on nursing. We're always looking for different ways that we can incorporate technology and maybe simulations and things like that to kind of create a more realistic experience for the students. So I think that just being open to technology and and the different ways that we can incorporate that is helpful because sometimes writing a paper maybe isn't the best way to assess comprehension of a concept or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to be flexible as well, the way that you want to present the information, but also the way that you want to assess that the students learn that information. Yeah, and I think also the simply the the GCU model and the the way we we do things, the way we create curriculum, is pretty cutting edge in itself. Mm-hmm. It's kind of unheard of probably in higher education that every student knows that when they go into their class that they're going to be taught something that is all you know aligned. The instructional alignment is there. The objectives are clearly stated. You know they have clear assessments that are going to assess those objectives. And so I think, you know, GCU, just in, you know, not to mention, you know, regardless of the technology and things like that, just the GCU model is is pretty cutting edge in itself. Yeah, and given that starting point, I was hoping maybe I was curious your perspective. So if we provide a starting point for students, but I'm an instructor who's very um, experienced in my field and I want to add to, how could I bring that without – without compromising the integrity of the set curriculum that's there. For instance, if I want to introduce a new activity, but I want to give my class credit for it. So if, if the class as a whole is, say, like a 1,000 points, you know, would you discourage or what guidelines could you provide where if I'm in a shocker, oh, well, hey, let's go ahead and watch this movie on, you know, whatever, criminology, and let's write a, a 50-word essay because I, I actually was interviewed in this movie and I want you to see it. Like, that seems like it would add to it, but it, as a faculty member, I can't say, oh, well, I'm going to make this extra assignment 500 points and then, you know, throw off the weighting of the class th- that dramatically. What, what's How can you speak to that a little? How can we bring in and add to without compromising? Yeah, well, the colleges, you know, they've kind of made, established that, that norm for the course as we've discussed, uh, designing the course, but they still want the the instructors to bring in their experiences, uh, their expertise, 
And I think, you know, in their lectures, to to get creative, to mm-hmm. to do things in class, whether ground or online. I know a lot of the the online uh, instructors use tools such as Loom and, and things like mm-hmm. that to to kind of supplement or, or add their flavor, as you say, onto the course. So I think, yeah, I think that's that's great. We we would definitely want instructors to be doing things like that. Okay, maybe we could encourage faculty, Mark, then in that sense that we don't have to give earned credit for everything that we do in our class. That's whether, a good point. Yeah, mm-hmm. whether it's online or traditional face-to-face because mm-hmm. I think there's authentic relationship created there as well. When you present to your students and you say, hey, I just thought of you throughout this popped in my head, this activity. Mm-hmm. It's completely optional. In fact, if, you know, if, you just want to tune out while we do that's fine but i just want to you know present this to the class and we're going to take 10 minutes and do this and also when we're when we're designing or developing or revising a course we're working with a small number of subject matter experts and so when that course is actually being taught an instructor may have an idea for supplemental resources that could be beneficial and mm-hmm. so i've had SMEs who, or I've had, I've worked with SMEs who are instructors in a course and they'll say like, oh, I have a great TED talk about this and things like that. And that's always exciting when you work with an instructor who has been doing that already. And they say, I have these resources that I'd love to incorporate. Mm -hmm. So we definitely encourage that kind of creativity. It could be also maybe if, if you're using it in class as a way to assess their understanding, that could be a cat that you could. Oh, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Or plug in the classroom assessment technique again. That's right. Yeah, just to check to see, kind of change it up and to see how, how they're understanding this this content. I think that's a great point. And to, to go along with these different strategies, CATs and, and things like that, these effective learning strategies that Catherine was talking about, we did this professional development on, was, was kind of one of the ideas behind it, that there are these these more effective strategies that we could put in front of students mm-hmm. to help them learn deeper and better. And and so maybe we could talk about some of those those strategies. When we did our professional development s- session in CDD, it was focused towards people in CDD. And so mm-hmm. it wasn't focused towards how can an instructor do these things. It's, it's how we, might we use some of these principles to inform some of the design that we do in in the curriculum, but we felt that this is probably even more applicable to instructors in right. the classroom, and could lend themselves to cats or just different techniques that student that uh, instructors could use in the classroom to yeah. help the students learn sure. deeper. Sure. What's one of the top top strategies you'd recommend, Catherine? Um, well, I it's both a concept and a strategy, and it almost. Sounds so apparent that (laughs) it's going to sound really obvious, but retrieval practice is a huge one. And I think a lot of the strategies that we talked about in our session and that even we'll mention today stem from this idea of retrieval practice, where students are recalling information that they've previously learned or previously been introduced to. And we've, from the research that we've consulted, it's most effective if students have had a break between when they learn that information and when they're being asked to recall it. So almost Mm -hmm. like a temporary forgetfulness. And it's that struggle or or that process to recall that information that students have previously learned that helps them better remember it the next time they encounter it. So beyond one class, you're saying, don't just, you know, Or even multiple times within a class. If you're going to go back and revisit that principle later on, if you introduce a concept maybe in one assignment and then a couple topics later, you're talking about that in a discussion question and then it later appears on a test, students have had familiar, familiarity with that concept because they've already seen it two times before they see it on the test. Right, right, right. 
So, so yeah, we, we designed this curriculum and we put all these materials in the classroom and we give them to students. But we know that the default of most students um, to approach those things are things like cramming at the end, mm-hmm. just maybe reading through and, and highlighting things and maybe just kind of taking basic notes. But the research that, that we were looking at for this professional development session sh- shows that things like retrieval practice are much more effective at, at uh, helping students actually recall those, those things that they're learning later and longer. And so, you know, instructors in their classroom, if there's a test that you're having and you know that students are going to probably default to their, their norm of, of cramming, maybe have a little five-minute thing in your classroom where you talk about retrieval practice and you explain the concept to them. Like, actually, this is a more effective way to study, to study it, you know, take a break, uh, really then try to recall those things mm-hmm. on your own without just going and rereading. Kind of make your brain work. And that's what a lot of these strategies are all about, is like making your brain work harder mm-hmm. so it can create those neural pathways that lead to deeper learning. So, I think I've experienced that on some uh, some apps like learning languages. Right. Um, so it's yeah. especially – oh, sorry. Oh, it's especially effective with languages when you're – revisiting like verb tenses or vocabulary over and over again. So like flashcards is a great facilitator for retrieval practice. Or even if a student's struggling with a concept that's maybe difficult, just to have the student sit down and write everything that they know about that and then go back in their notes and check. And that's one way that they can kind of practice that on their own without necessarily having the instructor tell them what to do or even us in CDD put that into an assignment. So I think that it's effective both from the student's perspective, but also from the instructional perspective. I don't think that students necessarily need to know I'm using retrieval practice right now, but if that's kind of interwoven into the curriculum, that's probably more helpful than if we're just introducing it one time, something yeah. like that. Uh, I agree. So for faculty, you want to keep your topics um, uniform. Don't just, don't be so concerned with checking off the box. Hey, did that topic go to the next one? They kind of tie them all together for, mm-hmm. for that. Great. Well, what's the, what's the next effective strategy? Well, another one, uh, we can jump around a little bit. The one that I thought was pretty interesting, there, the research on this was a little more limited than a lot of them. It was one that kind of resonated with me. I thought it was really interesting. And it's uh, pre-testing okay. that there's been some studies done where uh, instructors in, in classes have at the beginning of the class or maybe at the beginning of a new unit of instruction, they first thing, just give a pre-test. Mm-hmm. on a few of the the major concepts that they're going to be covering in that course or in that unit and let the students fail because they're going to. Um, and that, that's kind of the point is, is to have the students go in there and just take this pretest on content they haven't learned and grade it with them and give them feedback on what the actual answers are mm-hmm. and then kind of use that as an entry point to introduce the unit. We know that it's, it's important to state the objectives before instruction begins, and this could be a way that instructors do that. Mm-hmm. Right now in the classroom, maybe you write the objectives on the, the board and, and just kind of mention them, but this could be a way you, you do that. You, you write a few practice you know, test questions related to the objectives, give it to the students, give them five minutes to struggle through it and probably fail, and then go over it and introduce, hey, you know, these are the things you don't know. 
these are the things we're going to be covering that you will know at the end of this unit or at the end of this course. And then so the, some of the research that has been done on this, it looks promising that, that, that doing that helps students not only just know what's going to be covered and be able to focus on that more, but it kind of introduces that, that feeling that, oh, I don't know this. I need mm-hmm. to really pay attention. I need to – I want to do better on mm-hmm. the, the final test since – you know, doing poorly on this pretest feels bad. Yeah, pre- so yeah. pretest it, it, is a great thing. One of those things you can do. You don't have to grade. Or, right, or if, keep it, it keep it low stakes yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or no oh, points. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's no points. It's just something yeah. you can do in the classroom. So you, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's great then for growth to see the the final test and compare it to. Actually, we I think we in some of our trainings we had a pretest. Yeah, like the uh, when we used to yeah for zero yeah, didn't count for credit and all that yeah and and Ryan said you know let the students fail which there's a difference Mark and um, letting a student failure and telling your coworker he's a failure yeah so I just every other episode or so guys I have to remind Mark <laughs> about his conduct that. towards me <laughs> and I'm just glad you could be here for today's intervention brought to you by our sponsor Air. Breathe it in. So that's great. So we have a uh, retrieval practice, pre-testing. What's another effective strategy? Well, one thing, like I said, retrieval practice appears multiple times throughout these different oh, strategies. Like how she brought that back in? Uh, <laughs> it's like she was forcing retrieval. us to. Do you feel like that's retrieval yeah, practice? That so so like, pre-testing is a form of retrieval practice because you're first exposed to that information. You're made aware of the fact that you don't know it, and so it's right. more familiar the next time you visit right, right, right. it. So no, That's good kind of a variation of that or to go off of that again um, are two different approaches that are also similar space practice and interleaving and this is more more has to do with the way that students are studying so different research has found that students retention is higher if they are spacing out their their learning and their study over a longer period of time okay. um, so, so the, it defeats the, the cramming method. right right yeah, so it's, it's the the antithesis of, of cramming so maybe that might require the students or even the instructor to have a more forward-thinking view and say, this topic is coming up. We're going to mm-hmm. be testing on this in, in a couple of weeks. Like, what do I need to, how do I need to start approaching that now? So that's that space practice. And I think that that could apply to the way that students are learning the information, the way that instructors are teaching the information, or the way that we present that information within, within a course. And then similar to that is another topic, uh, another strategy called interleaving, which is a type of studying that intermixes the content that student is studying within like a single study session. So rather than studying math and English and science all in one study session, within that one study session, just focus on math, but then switch up the different types of problems that they're st- that they're reviewing or that they're practicing and kind of keep it dynamic so that you're not just doing like all addition, all multiplication, all division, but that you're kind of mixing those up with each other. Mm-hmm. So we found that these these are both forms that are ways that students are using that retrieval practice, but it's kind of the way that they're approaching the material in a chronological way that affects how they're retaining that information. I think something interesting. So sometimes if you're taking, say, math, for example, and you just have math class, sometimes students may wonder, what am I going to do with this? But if you enter leave it with um, like a project, then maybe you, you're working on some concept, and then you get the math that you need to apply to that project. So then you can connect it more to real-world application and maybe understand it better. Yeah. Yeah, all all of these principles, they're really based on, you know, knowing how the brain works and capitalizing on that. Uh, You know, like we said, the default is to just kind of take notes, highlight, cram. But 
That's not how the brain works. The, the brain's not going to remember those things as effectively, but try these different strategies where you're, you're making your brain work a little bit harder. It, you know, helps you learn it a lot better. Another principle that, uh, or strategy that we could mention was elaborative interrogation. And what I like this, the sound of this one. <laughs> how Josh interviewed me. For, <laughs> for here. Yeah. So it's, a it's a, you know, like Catherine said, a lot of these seem like common sense type of things, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's things a lot of students probably don't think about or even know about. But so elaborative interrogation, it's, it's when you're learning new content, maybe you're listening to a lecture or maybe you're reading something. It's kind of coming up with, with questions as to why that thing you just heard or read is true. And so, it's, again, it's just kind of stretching Mm-hmm. the student's mind. And so say you're reading, you're reading something, you could ask, why, is, why does that make sense? Like I just read some fact, like why, why is that true? And just pausing for a minute and in your head, thinking about that, like, well, why is that true? And thinking about other things you might know about that topic, et cetera. And then going on. And that simple thing, you know, it takes five seconds mm-hmm. to just kind of take that break, ask yourself that question, come up with some answers, the the act of doing that helps students really grasp and remember those concepts because they're working at it. And and then after the fact, going back and finding the answers to those questions that you're asking yourself. So things like things like that. You know, if if we can if instructors can kind of expose students to to some of these strategies, if they know they have a a certain type of content they're gonna be covering that's difficult to grasp you know, maybe sharing some of these strategies with them and, and saying, hey, you know, instead of cramming and instead of just highlighting things and rereading things over and over, try some of these strategies and see if you can, you know, get your brain to to store them a little bit longer. If a faculty member wanted to kind of look into this more, what, what would you, where would you point them? Well, there's a lot of uh, these research articles that, that we uh, looked at to develop this um, professional development session. I don't know if there's show notes. We can yeah. we have a Sway presentation that covers these principles. There's there's all kinds of other principles too, but in this presentation, we could share it with you and yeah, you could yeah. put it in the show notes. We'll put and, it up there on the, um, on the bottom. Maybe there. we could edit it a little bit so it makes a little more sense for instructors and not CDD people. But yeah, um, yeah I think... I think it would be great. Yeah, uh, that'd be wonderful. I, I wish, the, you know, really in preparing this, I wish that my instructors, when I was, you know, in high school and under, undergrad, et cetera, in grad school, every any time, that I wish that I would have known about some of these strategies a little bit more and used them. So Yeah. Well, that's what we're finding when we label things, we're able to um, improve upon them. Because yeah. as Catherine mentioned, a lot of it might be that, oh, I already do that. Mm-hmm. That's common sense. But, well, there's an actual term for it, so mm-hmm. we can – better ourselves by identifying that, labeling it, and then researching how we can improve upon it. Mm-hmm. And if instructors really are just open to learning more about about these, these are pretty standard general learn, effective learning strategies. So just searching on that topic will bring up results yeah. um, relevant to these, these things that we started talking about. And, and like you said, um, a lot of these are based on how the brain learns and, and how the brain works. So uh, a lot of that Depends on on research, and the more we learn about the brain, then I'm sure that you know new strategies are always being developed. Yeah, all of these uh, default strategies that we mentioned, students are always using, kind of make sense for hundreds of years. 
That was just kind of what made sense. We didn't know a lot about how the brain works, how the brain processes information. Past 20, 30 years with brain scans and things like that and, and you know, deeper educational psychology research, things like that, we've really started to understand a lot more about how the mm-hmm. brain works. And we can use that knowledge to learn more effectively. Well, this is great. Ryan and Catherine, you have represented curriculum (laughs) design and development very well today. Thank you for having us. Thanks Thanks for your time. We're going to go to wrap things up today for Teaching Tips. My name is Joshua Scotta. And I'm Mark Trollinger. This has been an episode of Teaching Tips. Thanks for listening in today. Join us next week as we continue our survey of effective educational practices.